So we're in this series. I have to be honest with you. When Pastor Chris says, um, as we were doing this uh, two-part series on Jesus Christ's return, I was just like, okay, Pastor, thank you. Uh, that is like a really hard topic. And when I heard him preach last week, uh, you know, I was taking notes and meditating and, and, and asking the Lord. I've been asking, what is it that you want me to share? Uh, because I now close the series. And so, um, you know, one of the things that I learned last week, as Pastor Chris mentioned, was that we are in the end of times. And the end of times actually began when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and he ascended into heaven. We've been in the end of times. It seems, though, that we're closer to the end of the end. So, but how do we know when those end times will come? And he said something very important. He said that the sign will be that all ethnic groups will have heard the message of God, and they have had an opportunity to respond. And we know that there are many ethnic groups who have not heard the name of Jesus yet. So, we know that there's still time, but it also means that there's still work to be done. He also told us that Peter left us some lessons for therefores, for things that we must do while we wait. Waiting is hard. I mean, right? Waiting, waiting for an appointment, waiting in line for anything, waiting for a promise to be kept, promise for waiting for a miracle. Waiting is hard. So learning to wait is critical in our walk with Jesus. Because we can't give up on the waiting, but at the same time, we can't just mess up in the waiting. So today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to plunge in to deal with a book that it's a bit scary for some people, but I'm going to actually be reading from the book of Revelation. Um, so it's going to be a message. I, I, I didn't start out like that. I had something else, um, something different. I was going something different. And then, you know, I love it when the Lord just kind of does like, but, you know, let's go back here. Uh, and, and, and there's an amazing promise in reading this book. But we're going to hear directly from Jesus Christ himself. He has left us a message. He's coming back, and he has left the church, you and I, a message about how to deal with the temptations we will face, how we can repent, how can we can change, and most of all, how we can overcome. If you hear nothing else in this message, as we read in Revelations, or in Revelation, because there's only one revelation, Jesus Christ, I want you to hear that he has said that you can overcome. We can overcome. So today I bring a message of hope. He is the bridegroom. And he's going to tell us how he expects to find us for that beautiful day when once again we're met with him. I was watching this show. There's a, a show that I'm watching. It's, on, uh, it's called Schitzel. It's uh, about the story of Orthodox Jews and how they live. And I read about how it's been, it's actually a really true to form. Basically, they really researched how Orthodox Jews live. And th there was a scene uh, in the last episode that I saw, or last week, that just captured my heart. You see... Um, this couple, this man and this woman, young people, they were going to get married. And he's been waiting and make, keeping himself pure all his life. And she's been keeping herself pure all her life. And they come together, they get married. They don't, in the scene, they don't show the marriage vows or anything like that. But they show us when they walk into the room, into the bedroom. 
And, you know, we all know what happens when that happens, right? And so I was just kind of like, whoa, like, I thought this was like a total ultra-orthodox, you know, show, safe to watch kind of thing. And they come in, and they just gaze at each other. And then all of a sudden, he says, wait, just wait. The thing was that this young man is a painter. He's an artist. And he looked at his bride, and he says, I need to capture this moment. And there she is standing with her beautiful gown, and she is just filled with joy and excitement and anticipation and like that giggling, that nervousness between a man and a woman who are about to become the most intimate they've ever been with anyone. And he says, wait, I want to admire you. He puts out the easel and the paintbrushes and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, that's going to be an interesting marriage. But you know what? Then he begins to draw and then they leave us off on that. Because you know what? And he said this, I just want to capture this moment because it will, we will never live it like this again. And when he said that, I felt like the Spirit of God was talking to me. And he said, you know what, Esperanza? I am waiting. See, the thing is that we're waiting for Jesus Christ to return to us. But there's the other side. We are being returned to him. It gives me chills to think about the fact that Jesus Christ is waiting in anticipation so that he can gaze upon me, upon you. And he wants that moment to last. There is a picture that he wants to capture. And today, as we read in Revelation, we're going to see that he does not want a bride that has been broken and beaten he wants a bride that has overcome and been successful and faithful and true. And he knows that we struggle. He knows that it's hard for us. And yet, he gives, he brings correction. We're going to hear seven things that the Lord, we're going to read about seven churches. And when you read, when we read through them, I want you to do a couple of things. I want you to ask yourself, am I like the member of that church? Is this message for me? Don't think about the person next to you or the one who's at home or the one you're sitting next to at home on the couch or maybe, you know, you're actually in the service enjoying this and there's someone at the house that you're saying, you know, why he or she has not gotten up and been here sitting with me watching this. This message is not for them. It's for you. This message is for you. So don't worry about other people. Jesus, our groom, wants to have a moment with us. So, as we explore and as we read, I want to read to you something that the Lord is doing with the message to the, in Revelation, uh, to the churches. There are seven things that we will find about Jesus. First of all, each time that he addresses, each time that he addresses the church, he describes a character, part of who he is. So for each church, he's going to give us a description of who he is. He's going to say, he's going to give a, um, a praise for the church. Not everyone, not all the seven will receive some praise. He will give them a correction, and then he will give them the way out. And then he leaves them off with a promise, if they are able to persevere and overcome. So let's go to Revelation Chapter 1, verse 3. And why I want you to really believe and think and open up your ears. And I pray that God just takes away anything that might be holding you back right now. 
that baby that's at home crying, you know, I pray that, you know, le das el chupete and va a estar calmadito. He's going to be fine. Revelations 1.3 says, this is in the book of Revelations, says, God blesses the one who reads the word of this prophecy to the church. This is cool because I'm being blessed. Because I'm going to read it to you. All, you're going to, Pastor Chris was like, oh, how was SP's preaching? Well, Pastor, she just read from the Bible. <laughs> and, okay, that was good. And then, and then it says, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. So as we engage in reading the, the text that we're going to read now, remember that there is a blessing in just even hearing it. But there's an even greater blessing when we obey. Because the time is near. Are you ready? So the first message is a message to the, to the church in Ephesus. And this is found in Revelation 2, 1 through 7. And um, I hope I, I stick to, to this. Uh, I may jump from here and there to the people in the AV. So just forgive me um, ahead of time. Um, so I'm going to just read. It's uh, Revelation 2, 1 through 7. It says, write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold stands. Remember that this is a word that was given to the apostle John. They tried to kill him. They couldn't. So they exiled him into the island of Patmos. It was like an Alcatraz. And he has this vision. And it is Jesus himself that is talking to him. And so when you hear these words, this is Jesus talking to you and to me. He says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Underline that. That's a great thing. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Begin to ask your question. Have I stopped loving God and others the way I did when I first came to Christ? Turn back to me or repent and do the worst you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone who with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. That verse gets repeated seven times as well. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Here's a clue. Many people, many of us, choose not to go into the study of the book of Revelation because we think that it's too complex. And that is a lie. Why? As we read from, right from the beginning, those who read it and those who listen get a blessing. So who doesn't want us to get a blessing? You know who. Number two, it says it's a revelation because Jesus is the one that wants to be revealed. Do you think that Jesus wants to remain hidden from us? No. He does not. He wants to reveal himself in all his entirety so that we can run and, be, and come to him. So we see a couple of things here in verse 2, 
and 3, and then 6. So if you can put back verse 2 so that they can, everyone can follow along. First of all, he recognizes these churches of the people in the church, their hard work, their deeds, and their perseverance, even when it was hard to do so. This is the church of the person in the church, the Christian, who continues to work hard, to uh, serve people, whether they're, it's inside or at work. They're the same people. They're, they're doing everything. They serve the poor. They have, you know, they have enough, and they still find ways to cut up that, you know, that pie into more slices so that they can share it. These are the people who are constantly blessing others, who are saying, how can I help you? Who are down the street in the supermarket and someone drops something and they're the first ones to bend down. And I know those seem little tiny examples, but that show a heart that is ready to give to others. And Jesus saw this. He says, I know your deeds and you have done great. They persevered meaning that it was hard. They did it even when they didn't have enough, when they looked into their pocket and had $10 and they had to feed a family of four, but they said, you know what? I'm going to split my food. Maybe I'm going to eat a little bit less. Maybe my kids are going to be eating a little less, but that family's also going to eat. And they served when they had no strength. They were weak, but they still served. Sometimes we are so hard. It's like, oh, I don't feel like it. I just can't. This is so hard. Get over it. Sorry. I mean, you know, there's no other ways to slice it. You have to get over it. Because you know what? This is a praise that the Lord will give you. But there was something missing. See, the thing is that although these people were so good at doing all these things, they had left their first love. They had abandoned that. Which means to me that they were sharing everything. They were doing everything good. However, they weren't doing it out of love. They were doing it out of religious activity. Perhaps they're watching if someone's watching them. And they just did it to do it, but their heart wasn't really in it. And sometimes we've seen that. I've seen that. I've been that person. I'm just doing, going through the emotions. And one and number two, they had abandoned their personal relationship with Christ. They weren't savoring him. They weren't enjoying him in all the things that they did. They were failing to see his beauty. They were failing to see that he wanted to just love that on them. They had walked away. But in his mercy, God says, first of all, remember, acknowledge who you were without Christ. How many of us can remember how we felt before Jesus came into our lives? Man, oh man, I was a, I was a mess. I was just, just, woof, mess, mess, mess. And after I came to Christ, I was still a mess. But you know what? There was joy in me that I couldn't understand. I, I, I was crying and broken, sad, you know, defeated. But then there was like this something bubbling within me that I could not contain. I remember one time my coworker said, they were like, I guess they had seen me driving and I was putting worship music at the time. And they're like, you were just like singing really loud in the car. You look like a crazy woman. And I was just like, yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, I am a crazy woman, uh, you know, crazy for Jesus. And, and so, you know, so, so people were like, okay, she's, she's, we lost her. Thank God. Thank God they lost me. Have you, when was the last time that you enjoyed quiet time with the Lord? And by a quiet time, I mean... No music, no phone, no nothing, just you quiet. 
we're so busy. We need to drown those voices out. So he says, come back to me. Repent. Come back to me. I am waiting for you. The second church, the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, 8, 11. And I'm going to start reading, I believe, from verse 8. He says, I know about your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because, they're, they, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even with facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Again, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand that he is saying to the churches, whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. This church was commended, first of all, for their suffering in the middle of persecution. Most of us in the Western church are unfamiliar with this. We are unfamiliar with true persecution. If we talk to our friends in China, Iran, these people face brutal persecution. They're beaten, slapped, raped, jailed. Their tongues are cut out. They're burned alive. Their children are beaten. They're demanded to, to, to stop confessing Jesus and they will stop the pain. We do not know persecution like that. This church was commended because of their poverty. They were poor in material riches. Command were they wealthy in God's provision. They had nothing. They were poor. I think of uh, the little church, uh, Pastor Milton, that we visited in Cuba. We walked into this place, and this pastor was so excited to show us his church. And it was a tin roof, and it had tons of holes in it. And they had made it all nice. They had put a new curtain, and they brought us food. They gave us water. They could, took us out to the back. And we're walking through this, and then he showed us this, this thing of, of a vision. Uh, what is it called, maqueta? It's like, a, like, a, like an um, architect's, how they want to show someone what it's going to look like, a drawing design. And we could just see it. It's like we all just jumped in. We became like tiny little people, and we saw it. We could see it with him. But what we actually saw was sheer poverty. They had to move. The pastor, his wife, and children had to move out of there because they lived there. Because when it rained, it rained over their own beds. But man, these people were so rich with the joy of the Lord and with his promises. That's the church that I imagine. There was no correction for this church, only exhortation. And he said to them, be faithful even unto death. He did not say you won't die and you won't be persecuted, but be faithful. Remain strong. Remain committed to me. And then he says the second thing, do not fear. I'm like, I, 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 that, I'm without words. Someone is being persecuted, but he says do not fear. Because the Spirit of God is going to be with them and give them the courage that they need in order to face that level of persecution. And he gives them this promise, I will give you the crown of life. Because that crown of life is incomparable. There is none other. 
to know that Jesus is waiting on you on the other side, that death is actually an open door, that when you die on this earth, you will not die the second death because that's what he promised, because he's going to come and bring them close to him. There will be no more pain, no more anguish, and they will have all of him. But I know that today, even in the Western church, some of you may be rejected, ridiculed, picked on, thought a fool. Some people may even not want to uh, be with you. We've, as a church and as a school, we felt that because, you know, what we believe in, what we stand for. But again, in the face of fear, we cannot back down. We can only focus on Jesus and on what we will receive when it all, when he returns. So if you're facing persecution, all you have to do is stand strong. Remain faithful. That's what the Lord is saying. Remain faithful. The third church is a church in Pergamum. Revelations 2, 12 through 17. It says, anyone, could you put it on verse 12? Up there? Thank you. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Pergamum. This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Once again, we see a description of Jesus. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. Can you imagine? You live in a place where they actually there's devil worshiper, worshiping. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas... My faithful witness was martyred among you there in Satan's city. So one of their leaders was already killed because of the gospel. And Jesus recognizes the fact that they did not deny that. They, they live in this wicked, wicked, wicked city. And you have been faithful. However, I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. You see, if you go back into the Old Testament, you look at who Balaam and Balak were. These were prophets who were false prophets, and they said things that God did never said. And in fact, someone paid them to try and prophesy against Israel. To, 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 and they couldn't. They could not. But you know what? In the end of days, we will still have people will be teaching against God's word. And then the issue here is that we might tolerate them. We might say, you know what? Yeah, sometimes his message is a little bit off, but most of the time he's really hopeful, you know? Or she's really good. Like, man, you know, she gives me a real prophetic word and, whoa, I come out of there and I'm just like renewed. It's like, come on, people. You want a prophetic word? Read your Bible. It will prophesy you every single time you open and read it. Do not depend on people to come and give you a word. And I know God sometimes uses me to give a word of encouragement to people. But please, do not rely on that. That is not the word of God. It says, he taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have Nicolaitans, Nicol I can never say these words, among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Remember the double-edged sword? He's saying there are people who are leading others astray. 
in idolatry and sexual sin. I know that there are churches who say that they follow Christ, and I'm not here to condemn other people. I'm just speaking what the Word of God says. And they're saying that, you know, you can love whoever you want to love and do whatever you want to do, and it's okay, as long as you have the love of Jesus. But here we say that when we tolerate that kind of stuff, Jesus, with the sword that is double-edged, will come and fight against them. But guess what? Since some people may be so mixed in with these folks, he's going to fight against you too. Do you want God to fight against you and defeat you? And he's saying, don't put yourself in that position because I don't want you there. There was lots of depravity in this city. But there were some people who remained faithful. And he said, there's, today there's a temptation for us to mix things. I was talking to someone recently, and I noticed that they were wearing these bracelets. And they were different colors and things, whatever. And I asked about the bracelets, and they're like, no, it just centers me, you know, it gives me peace. You know, they're made with these crystals that, you know, just take the energy and remove the energy and bring in the good one. And I'm like, but you, did you read, do you read the Bible? Can, can, that is not the spirit of God. And she became very defensive, of course. And I wasn't being sarcastic like I am now. I'm, just, I'm not. I was actually very nice. And, um, but, but firm and loving her because you know what? I, I do care for her. And I do not want her to walk away. And you know what? It reminded me uh, of a promise here in verse 17. Let me see if I, let me open it here. See if I can read it. I'm, as you can see, I'm desperately trying to avoid not to wear my glasses but, um, because it's so annoying, but I'm going to do it. Um, let me go back and find this verse. Uh, verse 16. Sorry. <clears throat> Okay, and here comes a promise. It says, I'm going to start with verse 17. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give some of the, ma the, the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. You know, remember the, 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 the manna that, Jesus, that the Lord gave to the Israelites while they were in the desert? He fed them. He's basically saying, I have some hidden manna, the stash, the good stuff, you know. I've hidden it, and I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to be nourished forever. And you will never be hungry. You will never thirst. That you will be completely satisfied. And I will give to each one a white stone. And on that stone, I will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Look, if I am going to be caught up in this whole crystals and stones things, I want that one. I want the stone that the Lord Jesus Christ gives me, and he puts a name that oh, it can only be revealed to me because he loves me. That is the only stone that I am waiting for because Jesus Christ is the rock on which we stand. That is the only stone that I need in my life. And I hope and I hope and pray that no one will be relying on crystals and all these kinds of things to find peace in their lives and to find joy and to find uh, 
uh, connection with the spirit realm because Jesus Christ has revealed himself to us. So he says, turn back, turn back, and I will give you these promises. It is a plea to remain in biblical truth, to filter everything through God's word where we find direction, purpose, discipline, and encouragement. A few years ago, uh, Judy and a few of us, we were doing this uh, Bible study and it was great because it was all about God's word. It was, it was called seamless because there's a story that God has been weaving from the beginning of time to the end of time that only reveals him. And we have to find him in scripture. Every time I'm doing this devotional now that where is Jesus? Every single time that I research, where's Jesus? Where's his beauty? I want to see it. I want to find that treasure. Go back to biblical truths. Read your Bible every single day. Have it read to you. Do not, do not rely on someone else's devotional or what God has given someone else. Yes, use that as a platform, as a stepping stone, as a, something to bounce off of, but do not make that your daily food. The word of God will feed you like the secret mana, mana, whatever you say it, and it will nourish you forever. And he gives them this commendation. Again, they are recognized because they persevered because they remained and they were faithful. Not all of them, but some of them. The fourth church, the church in Tiathara. I know all the things you do. Revelations 2, 18 through 21 says, I know all the things you do. I have seen your love, your faith, your service, and your patient endurance. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. You know who that reminds me of? The new Christian. It reminds me of the people who are coming to Christ and are persevering, reading the word of God, coming to church, being discipled, and learning and learning, and they have this desire. You know, I want to tell you, you want your faith? Maybe some of you might be, or me, I mean, we're struggling with our faith. We're like, oh, you know, this is kind of getting, like, old. Preach the gospel to a new convert and watch them grow and you hang out with them because they will put fire spark to that fire you know we were at larry and helen's home and we were throwing some trees into um to this uh bonfire and it was like just reignited the whole thing it was like the fire was this big but you threw that tree in there and it just like exploded up in flames it was amazing that's what happens when you hang out with a new believer they will and, and then the, the, the heat that emanated from that it was like you had to kind of step back because it was a little too much that's what he's saying here. He says, but I have this complaint. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Okay. This person embodies people who are leading the brothers and sisters of the church away from what God teaches. As you've noticed, we've talked about sexual immorality twice and sacrificing food to idols. Those two things mean that you pervert your way, who you are, but also you begin to mix things with, uh, from other cultures, from what the environment is saying to you that are not in God's word. So he recognizes them through their deeds, their love, and their faith, their fruit. He recognizes their service and perseverance because in order to persevere, 
you know, it, it requires a, a strong mindset in that they are doing more than they did in the beginning, that they're growing. There was this evidence. But they tolerate these teachings. And I believe that, as I mentioned before, there are people who believe it's okay to love whom you love, to express your sexuality as you wish, and if, even if it goes against God's design. It's okay. And we have become, as a church, so focused on being tolerant, on being everything to everyone that we have forgotten that we need to be one with Christ. Now, I want to say this to you. This is not about us being mean or hurtful to people who are struggling with different issues. It's not about that. Don't hear me say that because that's not what I'm saying. It is about loving, caring, and speaking truth. And you have to stand because you have to know that the message that we have to preach is not an easy one. It's difficult. We will be persecuted. People will pick on us. People will say that we are fools, that we are mean. And therefore, they say they do not want to know God. And yet, we must do it. I've had difficult conversations with people over many years. And you know what? It's never easy. It's never easy for me. But I know that, and I pray and I ask the Spirit of God to just, to just help me love, to show love, even as I correct. And the one thing that captured me in this reading was this. Verse 21 Jesus says, I have given her time, meaning the prophets, the prophetess who was saying and leading people astray, I have given her time to repent. What does that say about our God? He is filled with grace and mercy. He has given time to repent, but she doesn't want to. But yet he still gives time, and he is giving us time today. So speak truth and love. And in the spirit of reconciliation, allow God's love in you be louder than you hate. I do not agree with people who are like, no, I'm just so angered. Is the, is the anger of the Lord in me? Nah. It's your emotions. It's your righteousness. It's not his. Because when you correct someone in love, it might be difficult for them to hear, but they will not walk away feeling beaten or uh, stepped on or humiliated. And while you do that, you have to hold on. You have to hold on to Jesus because it's going to get hard. It will continue to get harder and harder as time continues. The fifth church, the church of Sardis, Revelations 3, 1 through 4. This is the only church. So, okay, people, I know we've been going through this whole thing about like, am I this church? Am I this church? Am I like acting like the people in that church? Okay. This church did not get any praises. So but do not let this be like, okay, so I'm definitely not this church. Just listen to it, okay? I had to listen to it as well. As well. It says, this is the only church that does not commend it. It receives only a rebuke. It says, I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains. For even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. 
Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as an unexpected thief. First, basically this church or these people are spiritually asleep. They think they're awake, but they're not. They have not realized that they're zombies. They're zombies. They're doing all these kinds of things, scaring people, and they're like, you know, what's wrong? Like, why are you running from me? And they're spiritually dying, and they don't even know that they're dying. And the few areas that are still alive in them are about to die because they're so disconnected from that part. See, this church had lost a passion for Jesus Christ. They did things out of routine, I believe, and the Holy Spirit was not there. That is the worst thing that can ever happen. Oh, man. Oh, God, I never want to go away where the Spirit of God is not. It scares me. Because if the Spirit of God leaves me, it will happen with Saul. Saul continued to be the king and reign for years and years. Because people think, like, oh, if the Spirit of God leaves you, then that's it. You're done, and, and no one will follow you. Uh, no. Saul was still king, and he had many followers. And the Spirit of God was not with him. So don't delude yourself and think that it can't happen to you. You could be, and this is like speak to pastors and leaders. Watch. Do not walk without the Holy Spirit. Because you could still be doing really good things. Maybe some impressive things. And yet God is not in them. So wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. This church, remember that this church was once alive. And it can go back to that. They became hearers of the word, but not doers of the word. And you have to remain faithfully watching because Jesus Christ is coming back. And you do not want to be asleep for that. Find joy in reading the word of God, in listening to healthy teachings, in communing and talking to the brothers and sisters in Christ. Find joy in him. The sixth church, the church in Philadelphia. This is the church of love. Verse 8. 3, 7 through 8 um, through 10, I think. It says, I know all the things you do. And I have opened a door for you that no one can close. We love to use that little verse to say things about ourselves. No, you know, the Lord has opened a door and no one can close it. But, but, but let's continue reading. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and deny, did not deny me. The Lord will open doors, but you have to obey and not deny him. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Isn't that cool? Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. See, this church is commended for keeping true to his word. They were faithful. They did not deny Jesus' name. They were not afraid to say that they believed in God, 
God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Jesus was born of a virgin. That he came and lived as a man on this earth, but was still God. That he paid the price for our sins. That he died on our behalf. That he was crucified and buried, and on the third day he rose again. And that he reigns in heaven next to Father God. And that he's coming back for us. Many will have us deny all that. Denying the nature of who our God is. Even though you are weak, they do not, do not deny his name. And he says, what do you do while you're being persecuted? Hold on. Hold on. How many of you have been on a roller coaster, those crazy things that, you know, loop around and scare you half to death? You people hold on. I mean, there's some of you who are crazy and like, let go. Can't even believe that. But you hold on. Hold on. Hold on. And then enter the doors God opens. Because no matter what God's door, no, no matter what door, if God opened it, you can go through it. Because it's not about your strength to be able to go through it. It's because he opened it. You don't have to push for things. It's not about your human effort, but it is about God's strength. And then the promise. God promises to keep this church from the hour of trial and the time of tribu tribulation. So I don't know if we believe in tribulation before or after Jesus comes, comes back for his church. I don't know. I, don't, I haven't studied enough about that to give an opinion. All I know is that this is troubling you and you don't want to be left behind and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, you know then you become like the church in Philadelphia and you hang on to God's word and go through the door that he opens for you. That's what you have to do. And then the seventh church, this is the last church, the church of Laodicea. He says this to them, I know all the things you do, that you're, not, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich. Well, let me stop there because we can't overlook this. That I will spit you out of my mouth is, uh, yeah, it's very graphic. Basically, I'm going to vomit. Like, you are so gross to me that I am going to vomit. Like, <laughs> you know, it's really simple. Wow. They were lukewarm, meaning that they were not here nor there. They were not hot for Jesus or cold for Jesus. And then it says this, you say I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And don't you realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked? At that time, this church, Laodicea, was one of the wealthiest cities in that time. And this church believed that everything they had was because of their own efforts. They were not dependent on God. And he is saying, not only are you poor, but you're also naked. And you're also blind. He says, so I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. And ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. The thing is that this church in Laodicea, they were known for... Um, this uh, salve, this medicine for healing uh, diseases of the eye. 
So there's a play in words here. It's like you have the medicine, but you, you're, so, you're so blind that you can't even use it. And then this is a word that we often use. I correct and discipline everyone I love. If you're being corrected or disciplined by the Lord, consider yourself being loved. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. He took your job away. You're having marital difficulties and some things are being exposed and, and you're not feeling all so good about it. He loves you. You're sick at home and you can't get up. He loves you. You've fallen. You've sinned. You walked away from God. He loves you. But he wants you back and he will discipline you so you can come back. I think that some of the people from Laodicea remind me of some folks who come to church every so often. We will see them next Sunday. I'm kidding. Why did I just say that? Stop me. Um, there are some people who come to church every once in a while. And he says, repent. Open the door. God is knocking. And I want to just read that verse. There's a verse that in a little bit. It says that I am at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. He's inviting you in. He's inviting you to invite him in so that you can dine with him and share with him. So as we go back to this and we look, God, Jesus Christ, is giving us a diagnosis of where we might be in our walk with him. But he's also giving us the prescription. We've gone to the doctor. He's told us what's wrong. Now he's going to tell us how to fix it. So now let's take a moment. Let's take a moment and talk to God and see where it is that we are reflected in that church. For good and bad. I'm not just saying for the bad stuff. But for good and bad. What is the Lord speaking to you? What is the Spirit of God saying to you today? What steps will you take? And I'll finalize with this one last story. It reminds me of a couple who also were getting married and they came. Imagine, you know, the groom comes in through that door. Great tux, just looking dapper, amazing. He stands here. And the bride comes through that door and she's gorgeous. I mean, beautiful, most beautiful gown, hair, makeup. I mean, everything is just perfect. She comes in, she stands here. And they vow to each other true love and they, they just, they look at each other and they're just loving and you can just sense how much they care for each other. They exchange these vows. They make all these commitments. The pastor says, you know, you may kiss the bride and they kiss and then they say, okay, thank you. And each one walks away and go live their own lives. Some of us have done that. Because we think that because we've prayed the salvation prayer, that we're okay. But we've not enjoyed living with Christ, being known by him. Struggling, dealing with our imperfections and having him perfect us. So think about it as we sing this song that I love, Yeshua. It's a wonderful song. Let's just focus on who he is, that beautiful name. Because he wants you back. See, he wrote these letters to these churches then and now. Because that's all he wants to do. He wants us back. He gives, he's giving us a second chance. And a third chance. But the time is near. The end is near. There will be a time when there will be no more chances. 
So let's take today. Let's take advantage of today. The days are evil. So let's take advantage of it. Let's meditate on that.